Welcome to the sixth and final podcast of our Participate in Christ sermon series. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed every Sunday at 10 a.m. from our YouTube channel. Bruce Bentley is finishing our series with a sermon titled, Sabbath. Welcome everyone, glad that you're here, glad that you're not off jaunting around the world somewhere because it is the beginning of spring break for 196. Uh, not that I'm judging those who can jaunt around the world, but I'm just glad that you're limited like the rest of us and that you're here this morning. So welcome, we are ending our series, and uh, this Participate in Christ series this morning with a kind of strange short little story that I'll begin with. There once was a man... We don't know his name. He is a nameless individual that appears in the Bible. One day, out in the Sinai Desert, he gets up. Maybe what he does every day, we don't know much about him. But he gets up and he goes out gathering sticks. We don't know why he's gathering sticks. I'm assuming it's not an art project. That it probably has something to do with cooking food for the day or some other kind of menial chore or task is in front of him. At any rate, he goes out wandering out in the desert. I don't know where you find sticks in the desert. Maybe he had to wander quite a ways. And any, at any rate, he's out getting his sticks. Well, other people from the camp notice what he's doing, that he's out there gathering sticks, and they're not so fond or keen on that idea because of the day of the week that it is. So they bring him back to their leadership, which happens to be Moses and Aaron, and he is judged and found guilty before the Lord. And as the story goes, it's not just Moses or Aaron saying you're guilty. The, the account tells us that the Lord spoke. And the Lord said, this man is guilty. And what is the sentence that comes from the Lord? It is death. Death by stoning. His crime breaking the Sabbath. And you'll find that little account in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. So this morning, we examine the importance of keeping and, and not just keeping the idea of Sabbath, but participating and entering into Sabbath in our lives today. So, Sabbath kind of completes the bookend experience of these six different disciplines that we looked at, beginning with fasting all the way through. Uh, and it's also interesting to note, I think it's interesting at least, maybe you'll share the same opinion, that all of these things are important. They're all throughout the original Testament and the New Testament. We find them emphasized and experienced. Uh, we are exhorted, encouraged to do them as a part of celebration, as a part of just uh, everyday discipline. They all appear throughout the Bible, but Sabbath is the only one that's part of the Ten Commandments and is the only one in the original Testament that if you violate it, if you break the Sabbath, the penalty is death. So if you skip a Bible reading every once in a while, you're probably not going to get stoned to death, in, at least under the Old Covenant. But if you were caught breaking the Sabbath, then you could die. That's the significance 
of Sabbath as it relates to God's plan and purpose and law. So it provides kind of an interesting bookend because not only is it a really big deal, Sabbath, and whether you're keeping it or not, but Sabbath actually provides a way for us to experience, to live the other disciplines that are listed here on the screen that goes beyond obligation. So it's, there is a reason why we're doing it last. It's for emphasis. Because the way that we do or don't do Sabbath informs the way that we look at and experience everything else. So it may not make sense yet, but I hope by the end of the sermon that it does. What is Sabbath? I'll give you this quick little definition. It is a place to experience God's rest and his fullness. It's not on the screen. I'm just saying it. It's a place to experience God's rest and fullness and completeness. Why? For his praise and our lives. Okay, I'll say that one more time. Sabbath is a place to experience God's rest and fullness and completeness for his praise to save our lives. It actually is, depending, I don't know how you've looked at Sabbath at this point in your life, but it really, it's not a famine. That's where we began with, fasting, so to speak. It is a feast. It is a feast on God and what God has given us. So Sabbath is both a physical place and a time to experience those things I just mentioned, rest, fullness, and completeness. But it's also a spiritual place to experience those things. And as we see in Scripture, and as we kind of see in our own lives, the, the physical place, the time, whether or not I'm physically resting, it coincides with spiritually, am I resting in Christ? The two tend to go together. I don't know if you thought about that or not. Ran across this awesome quote, that pretty much is the rest of the sermon. I could just stop now, and you read it, and you get it. But I'm not going to stop. Sorry. Anyway, Mark Buchanan wrote this book, The Rest of God. Sabbath is both a time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual, physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also, the italic is his, the author's, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. It's an awesome book. The way that he presents and the way he opens our eyes, it truly is both physical rest, but it is the rest of God. If the author is correct in what he's saying, and I strongly believe he is, then think about this as we begin. If you're not experiencing the fullness, the completeness, the rest of God in Sabbath, then you're not experiencing God. That maybe you've had a experience with God at some point in your lives, but it ended. And the rest of God, in all his fullness, in all his wonder, in all that gives us reason to praise him, you may be missing out on that is a critical thing for us to consider this morning, especially when it comes to practicing the presence of God in our lives, just practicing Christ and living in Him. Where is this going? Where is this taking us? So, we could be, you could be, missing everything. 
Now, maybe you have some religious experience. Maybe you had a time that, that, that certain spiritual things happened. But the rest of God, it may be slipping through your fingers. So this is huge. And that's why we're addressing it last. There is a mega theme. If you look up Sabbath in your concordance, you look in your study Bible, uh, it, it's, it, it's an awesome biblical theology thing to do if you geek out on that kind of stuff. If you, this is one of the huge themes, the threads that weaves, one of the threads that weaves from original Testament all the way from Genesis all the way through New Testament. It is repeated numerous times all over the place, different perspectives, but it is huge. There's no reason why God takes us so seriously in the original Testament. And he keeps screaming at us through his word, okay? So if, if you come this morning and Sabbath is only about taking a day off and whether I'm doing it or not, then you're missing out on the whole point of it, okay? So we're not even going to talk about whether you took a day off or not. I do remember, however, as a child, <laughs> one real quick story. My dad, farmer, uh, always took Sunday as his Sabbath day. And it made an impression on me because it, no matter what the weather was or the conditions out in the field, other guys are going nuts because it's been rainy or whatever, and you got to get either the crop in or the crop out. Uh, and they're out there on Sunday because it finally got decent out and you're in the field. Dad never did. Never did. Not once. No matter what the pressure was to get the job done uh, before whatever or whatever the weather is going to do, he never did it. But it made an impression on me. He at least did that. But you could do that in your job or in your life. You could do that and still miss Christ and still miss the Sabbath that Scripture is talking to us about this morning. So it is a mega theme. We've got to pick up on what is so mega about it, okay? Uh, uh, Mark chapter 2, we went through the book of Mark. We, we taught on this and spent some time thinking about this. Chapter 2, verse 28, Jesus speaks out, cries out, and he says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And as we looked at that, what, really what he's saying is Jesus is crying out to the disciples for anyone who here, I am the Sabbath. You look at Jesus and who he is and what he's done, or at that point, what he was about to do, and you see the point of Sabbath, okay? That's the awesome uh, highlight in the Gospels, okay? But we're going to get a bigger picture than just what he says in Mark chapter 2. We're going to consider three things this morning. We're going to consider the creation of Sabbath. We're going to consider the law of Sabbath, which we began with, and then the choice of Sabbath. This, uh, this got me geeked up and excited all week. So I strap in. This is so important that we at least get an idea of how this thread uh, works through Scripture and really where it is taking us. Okay, So we begin with the creation of Sabbath rest, and we begin, well, with creation itself. So we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to get just a taste here, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we pointed out numerous times before, I think, but just one more time, God's not going, oh, oh man, that was hard. Creating the universe, speaking everything into existence. He doesn't need a break because he's winded, okay? That's not God. 
So if we can at least agree on that, because I used to think that as a kid, that I'm just telling you, okay, he must have been wiped out. What a deal, right? That's not the point of this verse. This is so fascinating to think about, because we're not going to read the whole for the first chapter, but you see a very distinct pattern in creation. After each day, he was finished, and the end of the day, okay? that ring a bell, anybody who knows that? So uh, that is a distinct, clear pattern in the creation sequence. And then we get to the seventh day, and what don't we see? We don't, we see the end of the pattern. He's not speaking to us in the same way after the seventh day, which gives a lot of theologians and commentators reason, and I, I think they're in the, going the right direction, reason to believe this. God is done with his work, and he takes his Sabbath. Why? What is Sabbath? It's completeness. It's fullness. Everything that God wanted to do has been done. And now it's Sabbath time, but our work is just beginning. So you go fast forward from there. After those six days, God takes his Sabbath, and then I'm just going gonna, gonna to highlight some things for you and paraphrase a little bit so we can keep going, okay? He creates man and woman. We don't have a whole lot of the details here in the Genesis account of really what he's, what, you know, specifically, but we do see that he's created them to do something. There is work involved. Work at this point of creation is a blessing. And again, as a kid, you know, I read about, you know, Adam's supposed to name the animals, right? And he is supposed to be kind of over creation. He's supposed to do stuff. And I always thought that was limited. When you think of a garden, what do you think of? You know, the backyard, right? Somebody's garden somewhere. Maybe a big garden, right? Big, lush, beautiful garden, but just a little garden. What if God's done and now God gives Adam and Eve a far bigger task than maybe what we've thought about before? What if God puts them in the garden and now it's your job, Adam and Eve, to be fruitful, to multiply, because this blessing of work is a whole lot more than just two of you can do. Because the goal of God's plan is to fill the whole earth with this garden. Awesome, right? When you start thinking about, is that, that before sin enters in, that's God's plan and purpose. Man and woman working together in perfect harmony and unity, creating and sustaining and naming and calling forth order, all a part of God's plan and blessing. God's in there with them, walking in the cool of the day. They're talking with Him. All of this is this beautiful, wonderful thing, right? That, I think, from Genesis 2 is God's plan. And then we have Genesis 3, right? The blessing of work after sin becomes the curse of work. Ever since Genesis 3, we've struggled with work. Why? Because even as believers today, work can be, as you read, especially in New Testament, you read work is both. And how in the world do we work that out? <laughs> work is a gift, and work has value, meaning, and purpose in the plan of God, but it's also uh, a reason uh, or the outcome of sin. And specifically with Adam and Eve and everybody ever since then, we've struggled with work because of two things. 
We doubt that God has our best interests in mind. We doubt if his plan is good enough. And then because of our doubt, we rebel. I will make another plan. I will work things in my way. I'm going to find a way to get what I want because, God, you don't really have my best interests in mind. So doubt and rebellion always lead to sin, always lead, lead us to work that ends in death. Part of the curse is the toil, the sweat of the brow, right? You're going to work yourself to try to get something, and at the end of, the, end of your life, you're going to work yourself to death. Now, that has all sorts of implications, but it, you know, God didn't say that, but it's true. It's true. You came from the dust, and the dust you will return. That is the work that you're going to do and where it's going to take you. All a part of the beginning of the story of Sabbath. Now, because of sin, the story could have ended there. God had his great and glorious plan to fill the earth. This garden's going to keep on going. You're going to be a part of it. Uh, doubt and rebellion led to sin. You're going to work yourself to death. And that could have been the end of the story. But as we see, again, the theme working through the original Testament into the New Testament, God had a plan to find a way, working through the narrative of all these different people that begin to appear in the original Testament, to begin to call us back through the law and through the people that he had in mind that he raised up, to call us back to rest, to Sabbath. That's an awesome thing. Many examples. Noah, Abram, Abraham, the prophets before and after the exile, Nehemiah, all of these guys, as they led, had something to do with trying to work back into the lives of the people, Sabbath, rest. And all the time, the people continue to reject Sabbath and rest. Doubt and rebellion never end. So, there's all sorts of different examples. We're going to land on one major one this morning. That's all we've got time for. Uh, we're going to focus on Moses. So, we've, we've skipped a lot of ground between Adam and Eve and Moses, okay? Uh, Israel, they find their place, what? In Egypt. They are enslaved to work. Not only are you going to work for yourself, the sweat of your brow, the toil, whatever, just to try to make things work or try to make ends meet in your life, you are going to be enslaved to it. You're going to work yourself to death for the man, for Pharaoh. We'll see how you like that. And they spent generations there in Egypt. There is no rest. There is no Sabbath. God hears the cry of his people. God raises up Moses to free his people to bring them into rest. There is a land. It's not in Egypt. There is a place flowing with milk and honey. doesn't mean you don't work. Work is part of the blessing. But God says, I'm going to give it to you, okay, if you come with me. So then we see what? We see all the plagues, all the things that God works. God brings his people out of Egypt. There's one more hurdle. It's called the Red Sea. The Pharaoh, his heart is hardened again. I don't know how you could have your heart hardened so many times without major cardiac issues. That it's right there in Exodus. He hardens his heart again. He gathers the army, whatever's left of them. There can't be many at this point. But they go out. They find Moses and the people. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Or the, the army and the river, the Red Sea. 
And there they are. What does God say to his people in Exodus 14, 13 and 14? He says this, you will see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Shut up, God says, and watch what only I can do. You've worked yourselves to death for generations. You've got to stop and see that I only I can save you. Look at this the scene. The Red Sea will drown. The army will hack us to pieces. See the salvation of the Lord and only in the way that He can do it. Sabbath rest is through the sea if you believe. So, they're silent at least long enough for God to work. The sea is parted. The people go through. Their work had nothing to do with it. There is in no way can they say, as in so many examples throughout the original Testament and warfare and you name it, there is no way that people can say we added anything to what God has done. God delivers His people. Salvation is that free, awesome, unbelievable gift that He just chooses to give to His people. The rest is right out there before them. So they go through the sea. They're going out into Sinai. And God... Now that he has redeemed his people, he is their people. Uh, that's the way he refers to them after the sea. You're my chosen ones. I'm going to do something with you. It's right around the corner. Uh, he, God has Moses go up into the mountain. He is giving him the, the commandments. And just before Moses comes back down, here's this emphasis. Now, if you've ever played sports, you've ever been in the locker room, and right before you go out to the court, to the field, to wherever you went out, wherever you, whatever your sport is, okay, there's that last few moments with the coach. What does the coach do in those moments before you go out? He says the one thing, she, whoever, they say the one thing that is most important before you go out on the field, right? That is the one thing you better take with you and stick in your head before you go out on the field. Here's what God does, did I skip ahead too far? No, I didn't. Here's what God does through Moses as he's about to go down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. <clears throat> you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, if you get everything wrong, this is the one thing to not screw up. That, I just love the coach metaphor. Above all else, Look at me. Listen to me. Above all else, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Now you think it might be, don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't deceive. Don't do, you know, those things we, we tend to think are more important, right? Uh, there's, there's no going back. You do something you can't undo. Above all, keep my Sabbaths. That's what he emphasizes. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. What does that word mean? 
It really means basically this. I, the Lord, have set you apart. There is no work that you can do that will save you. Look at all of the other nations and all their striving and all the toil and all the things that they do to try to be religious, to earn some idol's favor. All of this garbage and nonsense. I've set you apart, people, to be different than everyone else. Remember the rest I call you into. Because that, above all else, will make you different. Have you thought about it like that? Resting in God is going to set you apart. It's not your work. It's not that stuff. Six times in four verses in this short passage that God mentions Sabbath. There is a point. There is a reason. He's making an emphasis. Do we see it? So the penalty for profaning the Sabbath as a part of the law is death. This is a solemn thing. A sign between you and me forever. Don't screw this up. This is so important. It is sacred, this sign of Sabbath that you are entering into. Why a death sentence for a guy picking up sticks in the desert? Seems rather harsh, right? He's just picking up sticks. What's the point of that? So here's the deal. The, the law made allowance... The law God gave through Moses gave allowance for mistakes. Did you know that? You could mistakenly break the law and because, or through the sacrificial system provided, you could find forgiveness. You could be forgiven. You could be set right with God again and with the community again. That was a part of the law. So many people read Old Testament stuff like, bam, God is waiting. Just I can't wait till you get that stick. And I'm going to fry you for that. It's, that is not, it's, it's the exact opposite of the mercy and grace that is extended to people, especially in their culture, in their time. God is not like that. There is allowance. If you mess up, you can find forgiveness. So because of that, we know one thing for certain, that this guy made no mistake, that he knew the law and its standards that he had opportunities to pick up sticks any other time he wanted to. But he deliberately said, what? I doubt you, God, that you're good enough for me. I've got to go get my sticks whenever I want to get them. That's the rebellion part. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So you see another principle here. It doesn't matter what you think, how extreme the, the, the breaking of God's law is. It could be a piece of fruit in the garden. It could be a pile of sticks in the desert. It could be the way that you approach God now and the way that you view and the way that you worship your job and the way that you worship your kids. Anyway, see, there's, 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 one, uh, there's one thing that you see here working as far as a fear response, but there's also another thing working on uh, that we see working on here. It's not just fearing or doubt, but is doubting all the good things. I can, I can exchange the opportunity for Sabbath rest for something I think that is better, something that I, what I really want. And God says no to all of that. Unequivocally, no. 
whether it's something you're passionate about or just a pot of sticks or whatever, whatever else it might be. God has a plan for his people that was for their rest in the best possible way. That was his greater purpose. Not just for Israel, but as Israel experienced, as his chosen people, the fullness of God's rest, and the rest of the world says, I've got my idols here, and I'm never done working for them. And I see you, and you're not doing any of this garbage. And what you have is joy, is fullness, is completeness. I want your God. That, I think, is at least part of what we see and what we, uh, what we understand God wanting for his world. To be set apart, to be sanctified, to be completely set apart. So we see it in creation, we see it in God's law, and we also see it in the choice of Sabbath rest. God makes the way for us to find the Sabbath the intended all along as a type of Christ Noah failed. He was somebody that had the opportunity to show us rest. He failed. Abram or Abraham, a type, giving us some idea, but they failed. Moses did a lot of great, great things. He failed in a few ways. The, the, the prophets, the, the monarchy, uh, they all give us a way to begin to understand as we look back this theme that keeps weaving and it keeps even weaving into our lives the whole point of God and Sabbath for us. So he does it in a final way through his son Jesus on the cross. When Jesus cries out, John 19.30, it is finished. There is more, so much more going on than maybe what you have understood in the past. When Jesus calls out, he is connecting Genesis 2 with God's desire for Sabbath for his people to that moment. I said earlier, I think I said earlier, God never leaves anything unfinished. Everything that we see through creation, he did and is finished in the pattern. And then seventh day, and it, it, it's kind of left, you know, because God did his thing. And then uh, man, we have mankind, we have the opportunity to do what we're supposed to do. And we failed. And every leader and every person throughout history failed. This is why we need the original testament. What we see in the New Testament calls back. Remember? Duh. We're not making the mistakes for the first time. Look at thousands of years of history of people doing the same thing. Learn, experience, realize something. So when Jesus says, it is finished, he's the perfect Adam. He is the way for God to see, to say through Jesus to us, all that I intended, yep, you screwed up in every possible way. Look at history. But the plan doesn't end. When Jesus said it's finished, God's finished. And then there is a new response through the new covenant in Jesus in a way that we can live that then brings us back to that original idea in Genesis 2 that brings it, or pushes us forward to a new creation. And this time it can't stop 
or get tripped up or fail because it's Jesus' work that we get to respond to. The Sabbath is a whole new thing. It's not, it's, I mean, some people say it is, but I don't think it is. It's not about hours in a day. It really isn't about that. Now, in a response or a reflection, maybe you need to figure that, you got to figure that out, you know, the timing and all that jazz. But if you don't have the spiritual part right, it doesn't matter how many hours that you sit in a chair or what you do with that time that you're not working on something else. you got to get it straight. you got to understand what Jesus finished on the cross and then... Uh, and how that finishes God's plan, and then our ability to respond and to live in it. Jesus finished what God started. Jesus finishes what we couldn't do, and he closes the gap between us and God in Sabbath. Now, what do we do with the rest of the story? So back to Israel in the desert, okay? Uh, We saw Jesus. Now we're going back to the desert again. They are people, Israel. They're wandering around the desert. They've gone through. They've been redeemed. They've gone out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, God desires to sanctify them that we saw in Exodus 31. Now, Numbers 13, the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, tell us the rest of the story and what happened with Israel. Now, they've been given the law, okay? Now they have the opportunity to enter into the promised land. Maybe you've heard this story before. Moses, he picks 12 guys, 12 people representing, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. They have 40 days to sneak around, to spy out Canaan. They come back after 40 days. They have examples of the fruit, of the wonder of this place. Everything that God said about it is true. That's at least what two of the guys are saying of the 12, right? Let's go, man. God said he's going to give it to us. Let's do it. What do the rest of the 10 guys say? The Canaanites. There's no way. We can't enter into the rest of this land that God promised because they will kill us. We've seen them with our eyes and we're not stupid. They will cut us down and leave us dead. Now, we've got to put our feet in their sandals to understand the significance of their doubt and the reality of their doubt. So here's how we're going to do that. Now, if you've been watching basketball at all a little bit, this guy's name is Zion, Zion Williamson. He plays for Duke. Uh, just a few days ago, North Dakota State University, go Bisons, right? They made, their, <laughs> they made a way into the bracket, the big D1 tourney, okay? They are the lowest possible seed. So guess who they play? Look at his head. In relation to the rim, I doubt if he's even trying in this photo. I don't know for sure, but if you see highlights of this guy, he is an absolute freak of nature. He's 6'7", he's 260, 70 pounds. He can outrun guards like they're nothing. His shooting, his, his, his skills, his ability... The way that he can jump over a a rim on the court is amazing. Imagine you're a player for North Dakota State University. You're one of these kids from some little town in North Dakota. And you made the D1 team. You're going to play him. You get to guard this monster 
who will eat you and your entire team. That's what they faced. You have reason, if you're one of those guys, to look at this guy and go, we're toast. I mean, you go into it hopeful, right? Maybe a miracle could happen. <laughs> it, you know, in case you don't know, it didn't happen. Duke won easily because he ate all of them. The Israelites looking at the Canaanites, <laughs> you probably wouldn't appreciate being compared to a Canaanite, but I don't know, maybe you'd like it, but they look at these guys that are monsters, that are freaks of nature, and everything that God has done in the past quickly disappears. They've seen, these are the people that have seen God do miracles and deliver them and redeem them, and then all of that is instantly, poof, gone in view of the Canaanites. And 10 of them say, no way, we are not going to do that. That's nuts. We are toast if we go into that place. That lack of faith that they exhibited changed everything. It affected all of Israel. It affected the entire camp. What Anybody know the story of how God replied? You know, God's, God says basically to Moses, get out of the way, I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to start again with you. Because I can't stand this. This lack of faith, this inability to trust me after all I've done. And they look at a few guys out in the fields and they're, they're going to throw it all away. Moses intercedes. God relents. He doesn't wipe them out. But what do they get? After 40 days of the spies in the wilderness, they get 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 40 years. Because God says, none of those guys that said no are going to enter the rest. They are not going to taste my Sabbath. Sabbath is a big deal with God. And so is a rejection of all that he offers. It's right there. You can't walk away from it. So here's, here's where we're going to close. The writer to the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who he is, doesn't name himself, but he, this is why we need the original Testament, he draws all of this information, this background, to believers in chapter 4, and, he, and he's drawing not just them, but us into this to get the point of all of this original Testament Sabbath stuff for us today. So Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us of their error so many years, generations ago, and how it connects with us right now. Christ has finished the work. It is finished on the cross but we still need to respond to His redemptive work. Now, I said earlier, we have issues of work and faith. We're going to go there in the book of James. There is the blessing of work. Uh, we cannot earn through work. Uh, there is the curse of work and the, the uh, implications, the consequences of all that. Yet responding to what God has done is critical. We don't confuse that with sal salvific work the salvation work that Christ did, but we still have to understand our response and where that fits for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. The guys who listened, the two, said, 
Are you kidding? This is good news. This is the place that God said, right? The other two didn't believe. The two had faith. The big question for us today is how do you respond to what God offers? The rest, the Sabbath that He offers. Are we willing by faith to trust that what He's given is that good to enter into uh, it? And twice in this chapter, the writer of Hebrews says, today, do not harden your hearts, do not rebel. Don't doubt and rebel. That's the history of everybody. Don't do it. Respond in faith and do it today is what the message of this chapter is. Furthermore, so then, and and therefore, response to all this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There are consequences. Now listen to me. You may say, oh, I'm a believer. I don't have to worry about you know, consequences and you know, penalty and punishment from God or whatever. Okay, we're not talking about justification uh, uh, by, by grace through faith. We're not talking about that right now, but we are talking about the response to what God has done in us and are we following by faith. And that is also critical when it comes to the rest that God offers. Do we have the rest of God? Do you have an experience with God that is like no other? Are you moving forward by faith believing that He is enough so that you have the fullness and the completeness that only God offers. If you are experiencing and and learning about that and growing in that, then sharing your faith and discipleship and, and fasting, all those things that we talked about, all of a sudden make sense. Why? Because they're part of the fullness. If you are receiving that, then everything else pales in comparison. The life of a a Christ follower, when it comes to obedience and what He has for us, you've got to understand where that falls. You cannot, I cannot, simply make myself a better person tomorrow. I can't. I'll fail like I did this past week. I can't just decide in my lifestyle to cut out certain sinful, yucky things and done. Because I will fill that void with other sinful, yucky things. Does that sound familiar? That's who we are because of doubt and rebellion. But, but, if I see the sinful stuff in view of Sabbath, in the feast that Jesus offers me, then the sin is that. The, the glory of it, the shimmery new car smell of sin goes away real fast in comparison to Jesus. That's where this passage is taking us. So, the writer says this, for the Word of God. Oh, it's kind of confused me in this chapter. It seems like he kind of jumps quickly into these verses. Maybe some of you memorize these verses. Why does he go there? The Word of God Who is the Word of God? Jesus is. John, the Gospel writer, tells us that. 
So not only do we have the written words of God in your Bible showing us, revealing us, revealing to us who God is, but we have Jesus living, who is the Word of God. And this is what Jesus, along with the written Word of God, does. Living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One of the most uh, common dreams or nightmares, depending on how you look at it, it, so many people have the same or similar dream, where you're in your dream, you suddenly appear in a public place in your underwear. Or maybe you're naked, I don't know, depending on the dream. And the reaction, right? Because for, for a few moments, you think it's actually happening before you kind of come to your senses. I've got nowhere to go, right? I am exposed to the entire, everyone can see me. I cannot hide. And then eventually you come to your senses. Oh, it's just a dream. That, that didn't really happen. It didn't really happen. You repeat it in your mind, right? Uh, the, I think NIV says laid bare. It has a different wording there at the end of the verse. But this is really closer to what the author's original intent. Naked and exposed. Before Jesus, you have nowhere to hide. And he's writing to believers, okay? He's writing to believers who have some understanding of Jesus and of salvation, but they have refused to fully enter in to rest. They see the Canaanite and go, either I fear him, and I don't trust God, or I see him and I want him. And I want what he's got. And it's still at the same time, I doubt and I reject God. Either way, you can be on just this side of Sabbath, of fullness, of a full believer life, enjoying and experiencing fullness. You could be right here, one more step. But you can say, ah, but... I'm not going to do it I, for all of whatever my personal reasons are. Jesus exposes you before himself. He slices into you and exposes, main, he knows, before your eyes. He opens your eyes to, oh, that. I've loved that more than all that Jesus offers. It sounds ridiculous, but it's true. If I have to admit Jesus, yep, I've held that closer than you. Here's how we're going to close. I'd like you to close your eyes. I'll give you a thought, and then we'll have some prayer time. And it's going to be you. And then uh, and Jason and Mary will lead us in some songs. I'm not going to say anything more. We'll go straight from your prayer time to singing and worship time. But just think about this. And pray about this right now. And all these things about participating in Christ, maybe, maybe they sound good, or maybe I do that, or maybe I'll play around with that. Uh, that's kind of looking at Canaan and saying, well, maybe that looks good, but I just really rather do my own thing. And I really doubt if Christ is that good because what I've got now is better. Or I fear God because of my mistakes, the sin I've committed or the sins that committed, have been committed against me.
maybe both, but they have combined and left me empty and fearful and scared. This is the time to ask Jesus to cut into your life and to expose whatever that thing is has kept you from Sabbath rest and enjoying all these disciplines to actually participate in Jesus. So do that now. Spend some time with Jesus. Ask Him to see you as you are and expose those things to yourself. And ask Him to do a new thing. Because He's not here to strike you down. He's here to give you everything. To blow your mind with His goodness. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're starting a new series in James. We also have two previous podcasts to check out, Finding Jesus in Ecclesiastes and Tomb Runners. For upcoming events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.